Hi there, and welcome to Across the Isle, your occasional pop-up on-demand guide <laughs> to the arts in and beyond the city of Melbourne. This is episode 50 of our show, so let's celebrate the half century with our award-winning recipe of confrontational content and informal but engaged banter about the arts. In this new pandemic-informed season of the show, we've become more fluid in our approach to consuming and reviewing culture. So today we'll be discussing a couple of items that are not too time-bound. But First are location-specific. <laughs> <laughs> well, one is. Indeed. First up is Queer at the NGV. This one is free and open until late August, Melburnians. Then, after intermission, we'll discuss Frederick Weissman's 1967 documentary, Titicut Follies, which is available on demand, including through the fabulous Canopy with a K, mm. an online service giving access to film through your local library membership. So consider joining us not only right now, but on St Kilda Road and on your post-lockdown sofa of choice, or at Acme at Federation Square, where a retrospective of Weissman's documentaries is screening on Sunday afternoons for a while. I am Philip Teal, and I'm joined by my tree-changing co-host, <laughs> Carla Donnelly. Carla, happy 50th episode! Yay, thank you! We're so mature. I know. It's unfathomable. Phil and I have been <laughs> post-COVID, post-everything, just absolutely marvelling at this show that we used to do every month. So rigid. I know, but <laughs> hopefully that's where we're going now, Phil. Amazing. So let's get ready to dive in. This all comes with a spoiler alert. So if you like to protect your first impressions, press pause and come back later. Otherwise, colour. Tell us about queer. <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> okay, let me get the little blurb from the NGV um, site because I feel like it really sets the scene. Queer, in all capital letters, shines a light on the NGV collection to examine and reveal the queer stories works of art can tell. This exhibition of works from the NGV collection spans historical eras and diverse media including painting, drawing, photography, decorative arts, fashion, video, sculpture and design and explores queerness as an expression of sexuality and gender, a political movement, a sensibility and as an attitude that defines fixed definition. Rather than attempting to provide a definitive history of queer art, the exhibition explores the NGV collection from a queer perspective, presenting and interpreting queer concepts and stories. Many works in the exhibition are by artists who identify as queer, some are by artists who lived in times when identification was not possible, and some works are not by queer artists but have connection to queer histories. So I was a bit apprehensive going into this, as you can imagine. I identify as queer as an identity, not only culturally, but as a sexuality. And you would not be surprised how often the cue gets dropped off things. Mm -hmm. Or it's just an umbrella term. Interesting. And I was ready to be erased, mm. which it's difficult to talk about where we can unpack it. But anyway, I absolutely loved this. I felt like it actually, it was a salve for me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like we know that our histories have been erased. The histories that we have are because, you know, people have risked their lives, risked their standing in culture, risked their 
privacy, risk their freedom mm-hmm. to archive, to live their lives if they possibly can in the open. So the little bits and pieces that we have are because we as queer people generally stumble upon them in trying to look for, you know, versions of ourselves out there or in history. And to have all of this in one place, this incredibly, and this is just from the NGV's collection, you can sort of start thinking about how it fractals out, you know, into the world and the history. And also what a great loss we have experienced as well, considering that, you know, how much has been burned or destroyed or whatnot. But this was so amazing. It Mm. really made my heart sing to see the total breadth of all these historical works, so many people I didn't know were queer, bisexual, um, genderqueer, mm-hmm. uh, across history. Overall, I just found it really elating mm. and I didn't get through a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I probably only really dove into about half of it. It is monumental. Oh, it's enormous. But Five how did, how did you feel about it? top floor, NGV official. Yes, level three. And look, I have complex feelings about even that fact. You know, the giant letters of queer, the places you can get your photo taken with a rainbow backdrop, <laughs> the big stamp of approval the NGV is giving to itself with a little question mark over some former staff members. It's all very fraught and problematic in a delicious kind of way. I've been back to this exhibition a few times and I experience it differently each time and notice elements of it that either invite me in or alienate me a little bit more. The more I think about the exhibition, the more I notice that the NGV is essentially performing itself and interrogating itself, which is itself a fascinating and Mm. worthwhile task. Mm. They're really looking at their long history of collecting and erasing and marginalising and doing this massive mea culpa in front of our very eyes. Some of the elements of the exhibition that I find most confronting are the inclusions of ancient artworks from different spiritual traditions interpreted through a queer lens. Mm. This is my whole story. This is what I've always done as a visitor to art galleries and a reader of the canon, right? As queer people, we know how to find ourselves, affirm ourselves and be aroused by content that isn't actually for us or is only secretly and subversively for us at great risk to the artist. Mm. Um, And so to see, for example, an icon of three Greek fathers of the church, an object explicitly designed for religious veneration, curated in order to highlight the homophobia of the men in the image, was so jarring to me, Um, let alone placing that particular object in a room where the walls were painted black because this was a kind of anti-shrine to homophobic art curation Mm. over the years. Mm. It's just a very emotional set of experiences to go through in these various spaces. So while on the one hand, fabulous collages of beautifully erotic images by Paul Yore and David Diamid uh, throughout, amazing um, reinterpretations of Sidney Nolan paintings, Jeffrey Smart and others. It's all very exciting and kind of titillating. And the real thing that sunk in for me, in fact, was that queer people and queer art has always been 
by its nature avant-garde and modernist, right? Like you cannot have Absolutely. advances in culture without us. And so for an institution like the NGV to have curated itself in such a homophobic way for so long takes real effort, okay? It's a, it's a force, the way that things have been denied and deleted and marginalised. So what a relief to finally have, I guess, coming back full circle, those giant capital letters finally telling the truth about the fact that this is what was made by queerness and by queer people. I've got tears in my eyes. That really, I've got all these notes saying, you know, queerness is the place in between. Mm. It's a magical liminal space between worlds, between realities. Mm -hmm. And this is like, that was what was really enforced to me through this exhibition that through queerness we have sci-fi. Yeah. We have like, we have the uh, worlds of limitless possibility and imagination, Mm -hmm. you know, of people needing to project themselves into other places or feeling completely otherworldly and needing to express that in through art. That was the thing that made me so emotional mm. to see what, I mean, these are the things that we know as queer people, but to see it so literal, mm-hmm. so prescriptive, mm-hmm. so just boldly on mm. the walls was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'd never really thought of it in that way, that the other is a world of limitless possibilities. And sometimes all it takes is a heavily revised note, okay? Like part of this is about the curation. And I collected or started collecting some of my favourite little elements from the introductory notes alongside the paintings. Some of them are so gossipy. (laughs) Like, of course, I'm learning a lot about all these queer artists, but did I need to know, quote, she and her husband never shared a bed? Mm. (laughs) Did I really need to know that the artist of a fabulous... um, ceramic work lemon describes the shape of the stool as resembling a butt plug oh my god i loved that work (laughs) (laughs) and it's like butt plug has now been on the wall of the national gallery darling and finally his fingers cradling an unmistakably phallic rock and it's like unmistakably only to queer viewers throughout history but thanks for telling us you know and so you can hear i don't know I'm so moved as you are and with you about the fact that this is a great act of acknowledgement and visibility. And yet I'm still queer and I'm still troubled by the idea of this archiving of this content, this stamp of approval that the NGV seems to be giving itself. And I want to just allow for that complexity of the queer experience. It's not always a victory in a clear way. Mm. to have visibility and recognition because there's a kind of domestication that can come about through that. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want to get my queerest experiences at the most established art institutions in my city. And I predict that I won't. Like, no matter how hard they try, no matter how fantastically confrontational and anal the content is on the walls, (laughs) there's always going to be things queerer and more subversive than what these institutions can manage. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the way that they skirted around the edges of that was really telling Mm -hmm. as well. You know, like I wrote down, you know, David McDermott's body language that it's almost like a a, a disco ball mosaic with just a glaring anus with the sun beaming out of it kind of thing. And I'm like, this is my 
tax dollars at yes. work, my friends. I, I've got an anecdote about that because some kids came in and posed in front of it for their <laughs> mum to take a photo. And she was saying, point at the penis, point at the penis. I was like, this was not my childhood. <laughs> right? So that's an endorsement. Bring on more of that. Absolutely. And then the complexity of the artwork, of course, because on the back of the figure are the names of those who have died from AIDS. Mm. And it is a joyful commemoration of a tragedy. Mm. And look, that's one single artwork that itself contains all of the paradoxes and complexities mm -hmm. of queer identity, just so masterfully done mm. and so visible, as you say. Like you can see, you can see that <laughs> butt from the corridor. <laughs> it's fantastic. What other uh, – I've got a few other – works that really spoke to me. I mean, a lot of the works I had seen before, a lot of the ancient works I was quite interested in, but I was waiting for, I was like, oh, am I just going to enjoy this conceptually, but not enjoy this artistically? Mm -hmm. But I, and I was waiting for the gut punch and I had quite a few in the end. So the, the David McDarmid piece, which I just talked about, did you see the Tracy Moffat piece, Heaven? Heaven? It's did you want to talk here yes. with a love heart, OMG. We are such a match. That I stood was in front of that wild. telly for so long. I want to go back and watch the whole thing. Tracy is a genius. It's so pervy. It's so playful. It's so lowbrow. But it's so feminist and it's so like queer feminist. Yes. So in this video that is amazingly curated in a like old school television. Yes. She is... It's from 1997. Amazing. She films surfers getting changed and they banter with her as she looks at their jocks and their butts. But it's really, it's like, it's almost like hard copy kind of behind the, you know, her camera as she's standing behind a van or from a balcony. Yes. And taping these men undressing as they do at, at the beach, you know, mm -hmm. next to their cars with their car doors open or with their vans open. Mm -hmm. And it's 30 minutes nonstop of just this voyeuristic lens. And, you know, when they finally make her or she calls out to them because she'd obviously have to get their permission, just this kind of, it's an unbelievable uncovering of masculinity. Definitely. It's so deconstructive. Oh, yeah. It just obliterates the male gaze permanently. But yes. Yes. The world is, my world is forever changed Absolutely. after seeing that Oh, one. I can't stop thinking about Me it. Me neither. And look, the fact that you and I both landed on that means <laughs> that I have hope for this exhibition, that there will be other cultural, sexual, gender narratives that find their Tracy Moffat yes. content. I mean, it is so encyclopedic and... There are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of objects on display. So maybe that's how we approach it. We just sort of go in, watch a video of people in their bathers for 30 minutes and then get out again. <laughs> Do you have another? I've no, got one I more. No, I mean, it was really just that collage by Paul Yor. Oh, the collage Kevin. by Paul Yor is incredible. Love him. Yeah. I love him too. I see him what pretty wild, widely derided and okay. I don't know why. Okay. Because he's a collage. Be he is ultimately a collage artist. That's what he does. His work is incredible. I agree. Yeah. The last one that absolutely fucking blew my mind was the Gumnut Ball Gown by Paul McCann. Did you see Tell this? Tell me about that. It's from two years ago. There was an Indigenous, the first Indigenous-only runway for Melbourne Fashion Week. Mm -hmm. And Paul McCann made this. <laughs> it is so camp but so beautiful. It absolutely took my breath away. It's like this big 
green ball gown. At the entry to that final yes. gallery, I did see it's it. It's got a gum nut, a right. crown made out of gum nuts cast in gold and the little gum nut rings. And it's actually made for a man because it can't fit a bust and it would sort of sit below the nipples, mm-hmm. the bodice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a drag queen did wear it on the runway. Mm-hmm. But it was just... That ultimately is what I went there for, yes. that, that moment. The fact that metres from that garment, there is RuPaul Charles officially <laughs> quoted on the walls of the gallery talking about how as queer people we get to choose our families yes. is so extra and I'm still processing what it means and doesn't mean for that to be there. But <laughs> what a mind-boggling experience this has been for both of us. I just have one more fact Please. that I learned from this because I don't know a lot about, I don't know anything really about Greek mythology or Roman mythology, but I learned that wine is queer. (laughs) Thank you. Tell me more. So Dionysus, famously the god of wine and grapes, Mm -hmm. was, you know, also extremely horny party (laughs) god, Mm -hmm. mostly known for his female exploits, but became obsessed with this satyr, this Mm -hmm. male satyr, well, all satyrs are male, I guess, um, and ended up in a jealous rage, turning him into the first grapevine. (gasps) So delicious. So wine is queer. Drink up, lads. And speaking of queer wine, shall we go and get a drink? Oh, yes, indeed. Let's, in fact, I've got an alternative plan. Let's deploy our NGV membership cards <gasps> for a discounted long black Ooh. or a trip to the exclusive lounge. Have you been there? <laughs> no, I haven't. With its absurd design of furniture, unread art magazines and cookies. Sounds like a perfect space for me to be extra loud in. So, Carla, it's intermission. I want an update. How has your winter been and what are you watching? As you can hear from my voice, I've been quite unwell. I had COVID last week for the first time. Uh, But I really don't feel like winter kicked in until Mm. a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And then it really kicked. Yeah, and then it really kicked. Mm -hmm. I live out basically on the surf coast now and it's much colder out there. That's interesting. Much colder. Like, is it because of the sea? I th- I don't, who knows? Maybe it's just colder. Uh-huh. Uh, but I have to wear mittens okay. every day oh, now. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, but I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love getting all rugged up and my house is super toasty. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a lot of things while I had COVID, but I really binged. It's been the first time I've actually wanted to solidly binge something for a long time and that was The Dropout mm-hmm. which is um, the dra- dramatisation of the Elizabeth Holmes um, what's the Theranos the blood oh, testing yes. woman and it's um, I thought oh god an eight part TV show I mean like really with an actor so long but I fucking loved it <laughs> oh, I just good. like drank it in good how about you well I was um in Melbourne while rising. Oh, of course. Happened. Tell me everything. I'm just so relieved that it happened for all of their sake. Of course, yeah. I mean, the timing could not have been worse for these poor people trying to take over the International Arts Festival and make it more like Dark Mofo or whatever. But look, I saw some things. My highlight was the dancing public, um, which was a sort of ritual dance event at Melbourne Town Hall performed by and curated by the amazing Meta Ingvartsen, mm. um, who was obviously an international guest of the festival, who also performed a work called 21 Pornographies okay. at Arts House, no, at the Meat Market. And this person 
is so energetically frank, weird, disturbing and calm at the same time, like okay. Scandinavians can be. Sure. And combines Fatalistic. storytelling with movement and gesture in ways that are really memorable. So you can imagine me and my partner Julianne at this event where we just basically had to fall into a trance mm. um, as she recited or rapped or intoned stories about kind of wild dancing epidemics through history. Oh, um, and footloose. Yeah. So she was really telling the story of dance macabre, time since oh, the Middle wow. Ages, that people have suddenly started just losing the plot. Mm. Post-plague, they just start moving. Mm. Um, and she, she made that happen in a controlled way within the audience experience as well. Wow. Yeah, so that was that was worth it. And I kind of turned to Julian after the 21 Pornographies show. He was sort of dutifully attending with me. And he <laughs> said, is this what happens when you go to shows? <laughs> I'm like, well, since meeting Carla, yes. <laughs> um, so dance is still where it's at, I uh, guess. A thousand percent. <laughs> it's been really interesting because I've been trying to avoid getting COVID. I've been interestingly observing what actually gives me FOMO and mm -hmm. it's been very little, okay, very, yes. very little. Okay. Like I wanted to go to Orville Peck. I didn't get COVID in time to feel safe enough to go. Okay, yes. Because <laughs> now I've had COVID, I feel like I can go out for a few months. Oh, yeah. Um, and the ballet recently was the one thing where I was like, I really want to go. Mm -hmm. And then I just thought, oh, I can't risk it. But really it's only been those two things that I felt like, oh, that really big tug of FOMO. Well, look, my hot take on Rising remains my initial scepticism that taking big ticket items out of the festival was probably a bad idea. Right. You know, like there's, there's a sense that it's all very millennial and edgy and FOMO-inducing or attempting to be so. Instagram-friendly, storytelling-ready. Um, look, I wouldn't mind seeing something grandiose and expensive and lurid and camp mm. next year, mm. as I wrote in my feedback to the festival. <laughs> well, let me tell you that White Knight still exists regionally. Oh, good. And it's being staggered per month, per city. So mm -hmm. I think Bendigo is now, and then it's going to be in Ballarat, and then it's going to be in Geelong in August. So right. see you there. Come out to Geelong and come out to White Knight. Yes, please. Oh. Oh, Speaking it's time of. to go. We are back talking about Titicut Follies, the imperative tagline for Frederick Weissman's 1967 doco, Titicut Follies, is... Don't turn your back on this film if you value your mind or your life. It's the filmmaker's first of many documentaries that patiently observe life inside institutions, this one being Bridgewater, the Massachusetts Correctional Institution for the quote-unquote criminally insane. The film was banned for decades but is now widely available and offers viewers a highly confronting view of mentally unwell men being treated appallingly. There are so many questions to ask and comments to make about this movie, but I'll start by acknowledging that my main interest in the film relates to Weissman himself, mm. whose subsequent documentaries present a highly unified aesthetic and politics that I think can be traced, having seen it now, to this original object, 
no voiceover, no soundtrack, no interviews, just lightly edited footage of what really happens in the world. And in the 20th century, this is what happened to those unlucky enough to be quote-unquote institutionalised. So I will say that I was not expecting this short Weissman film to be as traumatising and dark as it turned out to be. And in a way, it's not surprising to me at all that shortly after its release, it was banned unless you were professionally working, Mm. ironically, in this kind of institution. And I did have to pause the film and literally lie down and ask my partner to bring me water Mm. after some particularly gruesome scenes in which human beings are not treated with any humanity. Mm. And yet there's this sense, isn't there, that documents like this are of historical significance. Alongside the point I was making about Weissman, who seems to have, from the very beginning, which this is, created a completely individual language of filmmaking. He's reminiscent to me of the Cubists Mm. in the visual arts, somebody who has invented a way with a medium that seems to be somehow innate to him. And there's something so unapologetic, uncompromising and harrowing Mm. about the work that he keeps producing. Although I will say, Carla, that my first thought as I watched this with Julian was, I can't believe I've done this to Carla. Will she ever forgive me? So maybe it's time for you to let me know how you found (laughs) me. Do I forgive you? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What an absolutely unbelievable work. Mm. It's interesting because I just finished a psychology degree and so much of a psychology degree is being exposed to stuff like this which is just completely unethical, inhumane um, treatment of people. And that's how we got our data. Right. You know, so this kicks off sort of in the middle, you know, modern psychology really kicked off post-World War II because and it got a lot of funding and it got a lot of interest and stimulation because people were like, how do things like this happen? Mm-hmm. You know, so they just threw money at it and they just trusted you know, that we would get these answers or at least start digging. But really what I saw specifically in this text was how those kinds of atrocities were just repeated at a micro scale. Mm -hmm. You know, the the question of modern psychology was how can Hitler brainwash so many people to exterminate, try to exterminate a race of people or a religion of people. But then we look at this and we see, the exact same behaviour in trying to exterminate mm-hmm. poor people. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's just poor people. Mm. Like I questioned that these people were potentially even mentally ill to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, there is so much data to say that, you know, if you sleep rough within three days, you start exhibiting psychotic mm-hmm. tendencies. Mm. Most of these people seem to have been incarcerated naked. Mm. They weren't even allowed to have clothes. Could you imagine what that would do to you psychologically if you were just, well, as you one weren't even figures, allowed to have clothes? One of the inmates, Vladimir, is a kind of voice on behalf of those people who says, this place is doing me harm. Yes. He says that to the doctor. Very insistently. He says it repeatedly. And you learn towards the end of the film that the result is that they tranquilize him more. Of course. The other darkly disturbing thing about this document is that It's pretty clear when you think about it 
that the really nasty stuff would have been off limits to Weissman. Oh. This is a curated view. This is the sanit like for yes. lack of a better word, the sanitized version. Yes. I couldn't watch the scene where they force fed that man. Outrageous. I had to skip that. And that is, I'll just pause on that because that's the most editing I've ever seen Weissman do. Mm. So he splices the death of the person with the torture of the person. Mm. Um, and so even as you view this unwatchable footage of force feeding, you see that person's body being prepared for burial. Mm. And that is as didactic, I think, as Weissman ever got. And right. he actually became sparer and sparer since that moment. But it is devastating, memorably, as an act of filmmaking. But I think also, like, he is complicit in this because... And I know it wasn't the thinking of the time, but the reason why we don't have documents like this is because they're completely unethical. Yes. Because people who are hospitalised or institutionalised, by definition, don't have any power. Mm -hmm. They are unable to consent. Mm -hmm. So although this is an important document, it feels like the same thing of we say that like, oh, we got people into space because fucking Hitler, you know, drowned people and got scientific data on that. You know, it's like... It's justifying the means because the ends have some merit. And they, you know, the judge that allowed this to become distributed in the early 90s was on the, the basis of that. He's like this, you know, more people need to see this so these things don't mm. keep going. But we know that these things happen, mm. you know. Family members, people, we know. Yeah. You know, like, of course, a lot of these inmates may have not had loved ones, but there's enough people out there that know these things happen. These people work in these institutions. There's yeah. cleaners. It's the complicity. We don't need a filmmaker. No. Yeah. In terms of, like, work, and, you know, it's funny because I, the only work I ever saw of his was the one in The Crazy Horse. Crazy Horse. And I was like, I don't need to sit here for two hours looking at butts, you know. <laughs> Well, going back to Tracy Moffat. <laughs> but now that I pan out and I look at his body of work, no mm. pun intended, um, I understand where it fits and I think it was probably the worst place to start with him as a filmmaker. But I think in, like, in terms of this, is this being your first film, like what a fucking shot over the bow, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And it's interesting because it is not edited per se in the way that to create a narrative or anything like that. It is just edited for coherence and for time. Yes. But the thing that really struck me about it is, is that, and it's, it's something that I bang on about all the time, is that we all have a narrative. Mm -hmm. We all have, because at, to live, to continue living is to have desire. Mm -hmm. And our desires are the, the motors that drive us, whether we're aware of them or not. Mm. You know, so there was a narrative to that film. Mm -hmm. Every single character, quote unquote, had their desire that they were, inherent like marching towards yes you know so like as part of documentary filmmaking is absolutely unbelievable and to trust viewers to carry that i mean weissman documentaries do have a craft but rely on the viewer to deduce so much and to see connections as they develop i mean most of his films now go for hours and hours at a time mm. Um, so I admired the kind of concision of the storytelling here by his standards. Um, but his documentaries have been some of the most profound 
viewing experiences I've had, especially mm. when I am stuck in a cinema and can't leave halfway through. Right. My favourite is La Danse about the Paris Opera Ballet, which is the great dance and ambition and France documentary of all time. It just gives you all of the information you need about all three of those things <laughs> in one incredibly aesthetic document. Um, and there were moments in this film, Titicut Follies, which, although problematic, were aesthetically incredible mm. and strange. I mean, there's a moment where a figure is singing a song with the word Chinatown in it as a kind of karaoke in front of a television that appears to be blasting Anonymous some Guri. other song. It was Anonymous Guri. Okay. And so that held in your view is so disorienting. Yes. And the film ends almost with somebody standing on their head and singing as their feet remain sort of strangely static in the air. That you know, one scene with him standing in front of the TV was just unbelievable because here's Nana Muscuri on the TV and it's like, oh, yeah, this actually happened. Mm -hmm. This existed in a world that I live in. This isn't mm -hmm. This isn't something from the, you know, something because I became so disassociated watching this. Yes. You know, like, oh, that's American. That's mm -hmm. men. That's mm -hmm. the past. That's mm. this, that, the other. And it's like, no, this happened in the world that I live in. Yeah, indeed. You and know? the dynamics especially of the bullying guards. Oh, my God. The sort of senior guard dickhead figure who hosts this Follies show and makes them all sing and dance and cheerlead for well, his I own think gratification. That, but I think that that's an editorial moment. Mm -hmm. To open the film with the talent show that they ostensibly force the inmates into participating in with the nurses and the guards. They mm. do a talent show, a review called Titty Cut Follies, to start to open with that and then to close with it I think is a very defined editing moment. Mm. Do you think that it's Weissman participating with that project? I think it's him creating, I think it's him setting his agenda. Mm -hmm. And I mean, ultimately it's the truth mm. because it's a very encapsulated moment of everything that is happening in this place. Mm. It is a circus. It is enslavement. Mm -hmm. It is humiliation. Mm -hmm. It is fun, it is follies mm. to these people, these people's lives, mm. you know. Um, and it's also such a encapsulation of the post-atomic era, you know. It's like it kills me that, you know, like there's that whole scene where he's shaving that man and it's like, oh, even in this place, everyone still has to be clean shaven. Okay. You won't give them clothes, yeah. but you'll enforce them being cleanly shaved. And you will mock them for their lack of cleanliness yes. that you are imposing on them. Yeah. It's the level of disgust I felt as I viewed this film was just immense. And then for Weissman to cut from that final scene of the follies to his signature silent credits that simply unspooled across the screen was just so confronting um, and so strangely successful. And I do encourage people if they're wanting to explore more to head to Acme and watch Central Park or watch the National Gallery, you know, take in one of his less problematic features as an entry point to his work um, because I have found it really very profoundly shaping of my way of seeing the world. I'm definitely keen to see more and, you know, nice little Capricorn. He's 93 and still working. 
Love. He's still putting out films. Legend. You know, so maybe that's why they're getting longer and longer. <laughs> more and more to say. Uh, I won't say thank you, mm. but I will say... Oh, no, I won't say anything. <laughs> exactly. At least I don't sense that I need to seek forgiveness. No, I actually, I, three years of a psych degree really put all that trauma in. So mm -hmm. I was able to watch it a lot more dispassionately. But I think maybe for the average viewer, it might be pretty harrowing. Too, Agreed. too much. Agreed. Approach with caution, yes. fellow Islas. Yes. Okay. On that note, it is coming soon. Now that things are on again, off again, off again, on again. <laughs> um, I think they're fully on again. Yes. We're just in denial, baby. So what are your plans? Um, well, I'm, uh, I don't know. <laughs> mm, me too. I mean, I was thinking that I would just say Miff is on and doesn't have like a half in its name. They're doing a proper full-blown film festival in August. So, you know, I'll see people on the footpaths there. That's exciting. I might check that out. One thing that did give me FOMO that I'm like, okay, I'm definitely going to go to that is looking for Alabrangi oh, at yes, Nothouse. Steven. So, uh, very excited for that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we'll do it on the show next month. So, okay, Isla's go mm. and go and see and then mm. we'll talk about it. Otherwise, I haven't really checked anything out. Um, I'm going to go to Tassie in a couple of weeks and go and check out what's left of Dark Mofo that's still sort of installed around the place mm -hmm. and go to Mona. Your mention of Bendigo earlier reminds me that Wagner's Ring Cycle is being completely presented at Bendigo. Wow. Um, so if you're into very over-the-top Germanic content <laughs> and a bit of a regional experience, I might see you there. I want to go to the Elvis exhibition. Oh, I've been. Oh. It's very to do, like, it's very object rich. Naturally. And, you know, it's it's about stuff. Yeah, of yeah. course. Well, that's oh, cool. all he was about. In memorabilia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stuff, stuff, stuff. Fabulous. Well, that's that for our 50th episode. Thank you so much for listening both today and since day dot of this labour of love. Do get in touch, even for no reason, via email <laughs> at us at acrossisle.com or on Twitter at Across Isle. That's where you can keep up to date on our evolving plans and send us your recommendations for how to stay engaged with the arts in 2022. Across the Isle is recorded in Nam on the stolen lands of the Bunwurrung and Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders and express gratitude for their custodianship of the land we live on. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. And thank you, Carla. Thank you, Phil. Good See to be back. See you next time. Yay.